0: Subfreaks, your boy, Marty, here to introduce this rip of TFTC. Sat back down with our good friend, Maddie Mzingtius from Porkopolis Economics and the Crypto Voices podcast. We do this podcast quarterly. Matthew updates the global monetary base, and then we talk about it. That's what we did today. Touched on a bunch of other interesting topics, including the possibility of a free banking system emerging on top of Bitcoin the prospects of a deflationary price environment and how that will affect the economy. Maybe you'll have to work less in the future. This is a good thing. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Long rip, great rip. It was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. They're right down the offices here from the Bitcoin Commons where I am in Austin, Texas. And they have an IRA product. If you're not using it, if you have an IRA, if you're looking to transition your IRA into Bitcoin, you also want the ability to hold your own keys. Unchained's IRA product is... Ideal for that, and they have the team to make it happen if you're saving Bitcoin for the long term. It's worth considering saving in an IRA, which allows you to save Bitcoin on a tax advantage basis. Unfortunately, most Bitcoin IRA providers require you to give up control of your keys. If you've ever listened to my show, you've probably heard me talk about the dangers of not your keys, not your coins. Unchained Capital offers a solution that make it simple for you to set up a Bitcoin IRA while keeping control of your Bitcoin keys. Through Unchained, you can take care of everything you need to set up a Bitcoin IRA, including the paperwork Purchasing Bitcoin, setting up a cold storage vault in your IRA's name, and putting the keys in your hands to fund the IRA, you can easily transfer from an existing retirement plan or start a new IRA from scratch with traditional and Roth IRAs available. Learn more by scheduling a complimentary consultation. A member of Unchained's team will be happy to walk you through the available options and answer any questions. Schedule your consultation today at unchained.com IRA. Tell them a TFTC sent you. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains Brains is doing incredible things. They're bringing you Brains OS Plus firmware, which is going to allow you to produce more hashes with your ASICs. If you have an ASIC that is compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware, it's an auto tuning firmware. It allows you, again, to produce more hashes and therefore stack more SATs. If you have an ASIC that's compatible, and you're not using Brains OS Plus firmware, you are leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Go to their Brains OS Plus firm firmware page. See if your ASIC is compatible with it. And if you can download it on your ASIC, do so today. Brains is also the team behind Slush Pool, the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in Bitcoin's history, the first and the oldest. Uh, if you use Brains OS Plus firmware and you point your hash at, Slush pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. You don't have to point your hash at slush, though. You can point it wherever you want. Um, they also got insights.brains.com. Go check out everything they have going on at Brains. Incredible team, incredible products. If you're a miner and you don't know what Brains is, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go check them out. Brains.com, B R A I I N S.com. So it was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle, who will be hosting the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga, Latvia. Later this year, I just recorded with Matthew Mazingschus, who lives in Riga, Latvia. He will be there. Uh, This is one of the most high signal conferences in the world. It's September 3rd and 4th in Riga. There will be outside satellite events going on throughout the whole week. They just announced yesterday that Jack Mallers will be speaking. I will be there. I believe Michael Saylor is going to be there. I might have misspoke, but I think he's going to be there. Go to Baltic HoneyBadger.com to get your tickets today, and then go check out Everything Huddle Hoddle has on the product side, which is their peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange at com, And then they have a peer-to-peer lending platform. Both products, no KYC, no AML. The lending platform is com. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral to get stable coin loans. Last but not least, new sponsor. Very happy, very honored to have these guys on board. Uh, This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data Inc. If you're a miner, whether you be an individual mining at home or a utility company or oil and gas company mining at your utility center or upstream at the well pad, Upstream Data is a manufacturer and service provider focused on building portable Bitcoin miners. They've been around since 2017. Steve Barber, the founder, is considered the godfather of oil and gas mining. They build, I am a happy customer. I have a hash hut that I'm using uh, off-grid, using a stranded natural gas well somewhere here in the United States. The uptime, I can say this as a customer, the uptime for the hash hut has been impeccable. The only time we've ever had downtime with our hash hut is when we've needed to change the oil and it's down for 45 minutes. We change the oil, we plug it back up. I don't think we've actually missed a block yet with our hash out. The uptime's impeccable. Uh, They specialize in upstream oil and gas mining. They build portable Bitcoin mining enclosures for all applications. They build natural gas Bitcoin mines for the oil and gas industry. They have at home again and small scale mining with their black box, which solves the problem of managing heat by enabling mining outside uh, your home, it solves noise problems by suppressing sound. This black box does, and it solves for fire hazard problems with fire-resistant box and insulation. Uh, and then again, they have industrial mining uh, with their hash hut data centers. Uh, it can be modular. They can manufacture in 90-kilowatt increments up to 900 kilowatts per container. That's almost a megawatt, would hold a lot of miners in it, a lot of ASICs. It's built in a passive heat recirculation for cold weather. Uh, they have soundproofing attachments to make sure that you're being a good namer. So you can go check this out at www. Everything they have going. If you're a home miner, if you want to mine at home, you want to get those no KYC, no AML Bitcoin, and control your ASIC at your house. They have the black box. If you're upstream oil and gas, they have their hash huts. Again, it can scale up to 90 kilowatts. I am a very happy hash hut customer. I'm not using a 90, excuse me, a 900 kilowatt. Uh, hut but I, I am very happy with my hut again the uptime has been impeccable go to www.shop.upstreamdata.ca www.shop.upstreamdata.ca for black box and ASIC scales Uh, if you want to <coughs> if you want to get uh, a percentage off of those bundles use the code freaks f-r-e-a-k-s um, and then Adam uh this is me doing a live ad read. This is we're making sure that freaks is up and live. I'm pretty sure that it is. Um so reach out to the upstream data team if you're looking for a black box, if you're looking for a hash hut for as a utility or an oil and gas operator who wants to take advantage of stranded and waste natural gas. Uh tell them the TFTC sent you. All right. They're, they have a form if you're especially if you're doing the uh, oil and gas and utility mining. Uh, they have a form that you'll fill out. They'll say, how did you hear about us? Please click TFTC. Let them know that we sent you. Again, upstream data. Steep Barber, Godfather of natural gas mining. Hashut. Incredible product. I'm a user myself. Haven't got my black box yet. Can't wait to get it, though. I will get one eventually. Enjoy the Strip Freaks. <tickle> A week later than expected, you were under the weather, but another quarter has passed and we meet yet again to give the world an update on the global monetary base. Matthew is anxious. how the hell are you doing? Marty, my friend,
1: doing well, man, doing well. Summer is here, no clouds in the Baltics and uh, yeah, doing fine, much better this week and glad to be back at it. I haven't done a uh, pod in a while. I haven't done an update on the monetary base in a while, so always good to be back here with you, my friend.
0: Well, and the,
1: very much looking forward to the chat.
0: Well, the pleasure is always mine. You've updated your your camera setup here. It's it's very crisp. Glad to hear that. What are you using? Uh this is
1: a Sony A7 S three. Okay. It's quite a good one. It's quite a good one. It's not the, uh, it's not the A1 or anything, the most top top of the line. But it's definitely it's a solid, versatile uh, video and uh, you know point and shoot camera. But it's it's uh, obviously much better for video.
0: It's very solid. You're coming in crisp. I'm I'm a little jealous right now. We need to update our cameras here in the studio, Logan. Just to let you know. What do
1: you, what do you guys
0: have rolling? We just there? got we just got some cannons, some cannons. The cannons are fine yeah are fine. fine they're fine i mean there's there's video here if people can see me, yeah, not as crisp Great as block. you though Logan let's pull up uh we're gonna start this on a light handed note here light hearted note we do deserve the the bear market here this is what something that you wanted to start with we had the the Winklevoss twins and their their oh. band mars junction we we they they posted a uh a mic check. I thought they were going to have original music. It seems like they're a cover band. They're playing some some police here in, the, in this warm-up. Logan, let's play the tape. All right, that's all I can take. That's all I can take. Turn it off. Stop, Stop it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, that falsetto, man. That falsetto that uh, I think it's
0: Tyler. This is going for... Whew. And uh, Tyler, Uh, what's the other brother's name? Cameron. Cameron. He's just playing power chords. I mean, he did have a solo at the end of this, but just pure power chords.
1: (laughs) You're on the East Coast, my friend. Well, no, sorry. I'm sorry. You're not on the East Coast. (laughs) I'm
0: not on the East Coast.
1: You were on the East Coast. You're closer to this than me. I I, want to know, are people going to this? You're you're here to the the ground here. What's, what's, What's the word in the grapevine?
0: I don't know. The, I don't know Winkle what the w- the word is. Uh, I heard they sold the show out. And while they were playing the show, Gemini got social engineered and some of their IRA products got, got ganked some of the coin in their IRA products. So maybe, maybe the brothers Winklevoss should be focusing on their core business instead of this.
1: That actually act happened.
0: I think so. Yeah. I think I, I saw something uh, of uh, that nature on Twitter the other day.
1: Yeah. Well, there's something to be said about, you know, if you just hit so many home runs in your young career, as these uh, bright young gentlemen have done, uh, I guess at some point you just got to, got to try something new, do something a
0: little different. They went for it, man. They went for it. They went for it. I mean, they, I don't know if they still hold, but at least at one point, they publicly announced that they wanted to hold 1% of the total Bitcoin supply, 210,000 Bitcoin. So,
1: No, I believe they still do. I'm sure that would have been a whale alert uh, long ago if those coins had moved. But I'm fairly sure that uh, they did a uh, Shamir secret share, I believe, across like all the main banks in the United States with their keys, as far as I know.
0: Is that overkill?
1: Uh, it's, well, it's a bit interesting in that you would put your keys all into a bank. Um, that's one thing, of course, there's redundancy there and it's, uh, I I guess it's not major banks. I heard this regional banks, mid-level banks, they had all around, but in different safe deposit boxes. And of course, if one gets, gets compromised, they can go to many, many more, but, um, yeah.
0: Mars Junction has 1% of the total Bitcoin supply. <laughs> Mars Junction. <laughs> uh, I hope I get that rich one day where I could just pay people to come listen to me sing. It, sound, it sounded like the actual police record was playing. They were just like singing along with it. Right. And mm. it sounded like they just don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, not, doing, not They were doing right there. So, do we deserve this bear market? Are we officially in a bear market? Would you say? <laughs> that was a great uh, <laughs> tweet there.
1: Sorry. Uh, autism was, Capital. Autism Capital, yeah. But um, now I don't worry about that stuff, man. I don't worry about it. Uh, your listeners shouldn't worry about it. No investment advice, right? But um, you know, this is why I track things like the monetary base. I enjoy it. Have fun with it. Try to see where we really stand uh, in the monetary world and the
0: rest will come to us, I think. Yeah. And so this is why we meet here once a quarter to talk about the now Porkopolis Economics uh, quarterly monetary base update. Uh, Bitcoin has fallen two spots to the ninth largest monetary base with gold and silver included uh, in that monetary base calculation. They were, Bitcoin was number seven after Q4 2021. Obviously, we were hovering around all-time highs in the middle of that quarter. So it makes sense that if we fall uh, about 50%, that that Bitcoin would get knocked down a couple notches. But before we get into the details of the quarter-on-quarter changes in the monetary base, you were just in Oslo, right? So I think... we're not giving investment advice here. Bitcoin is a t- tool that empowers individuals the world over. What was your experience like in Oslo? And were you educating people about the monetary properties of Bitcoin there?
1: I was, yeah, a little bit, best I could. We had a nice uh, CBDC panel. Um, a few people, Odell was was, uh, was hosting that, Janine was on that, who, uh, who actually I just interviewed yesterday. She'll be on the pod. Um, and yeah, it was just really... Uh, simple short uh could have been much much longer as always i like dandons i like to talk about this stuff but it was only 20 minutes so it's very very uh very 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 basic but um yeah the the topic was cbdc's the dangers of cbdc's and cbdc's are just sort of all the all the uh you know They're, the tyranny being,
0: that comes with them.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. They're and they're they're being quoted a lot. Uh, apparently, there are some 100 central banks that are uh, interested, fascinated by the idea of a CBDC. So we just wanted to talk about what that really meant, uh, where that fit into the actual money supply, what that actual money supply looked like, if CBDCs are going to be a thing anytime soon or not. Um, I gave some opinions on that, which we can talk about in a second. Um, and yeah, just some just some of the dangers that come with them because this would be something that would be on a central bank level, something that they can turn on or off at whim. Uh, and people should be aware of that if they think this is going to be some tool for financial salvation or financial freedom or financial uh, uh, what's you know, efficiency, especially if you are a dissident or someone who's trying to work yourself out of an oppressive regime uh to help people that are suffering from human rights abuses across the planet um so kudos to gladstein for making it happen i was i was very actually happy to you know be a part of that as he said it was you know the first cbdc panel at a humans rights conference so that was cool um you know but this this stuff is you know uh, Bill Browder who is has always interesting things to say about Russia uh he you know billionaire investor from uh that was in Russia in the 90s after the collapse of the Soviet Union he was not at the human rights conference though he usually was because Davos was a little bit later this year um he was funny and uh he said he he gave a video address and he was like um you know they say that the Oslo Freedom Forum is like the Davos for human rights. Uh, unfortunately, I have to be at the Davos for anti human rights. <laughs> while I while, uh, while I'm missing you there. And, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's true. He was in the real Davos, which was, you know, is always getting more and more of a, of a shit show every year. Um, so, you know, he, he was there, he he was he gave a message um, that just talked again about everything that he's doing to try to stop oppression. Uh, around the world with his Magnitsky Act, which we don't have to get too into, there's definitely some things there that I wouldn't agree with as a libertarian, but as far as you know putting a stop to just these crazy kleptocrats and dictators that want to come to Western countries to you know, sit on their yachts or send their kids to school in Western schools and you know, enjoy all of the nice things about the Western world, which they claim to hate in their home countries which they rule with an iron fist um actually I think that's quite well a uh, well intentioned i think uh it's not going to do anything to like stop the war in ukraine for example but i do think that we as like a society whether you're in france germany spain italy wherever you know if you want crooks and and backwards dictators to come to your shores and have their kids go to your school and Uh, and all the rest, Um, you know, you can let that happen. That's been going on now for decades. Uh, But I think we are at an inflection point where uh, people are standing up, at least in Europe, and they're saying, like, "Look, just no more. This is way too backwards. It's way too uh, paradoxical that you're having these people come in and just enjoying everything that we have to offer in places that, by and large, respect human rights. Um, You know, we might not agree with everything the system does, but by and large, these places agree. Uh, you know, Western, they have Western values. Like, you know, if you're not going to adhere to that in your own country, then we don't want you here. So I do think that visa control, passport control, residency control, you know, it, 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 it harkens back to things like immigration issues that you'd have in the U.S. for different reasons. There's argument, good arguments on both sides with borders and immigration and stuff that libertarians take, but regardless what, specifically what's going on in Europe, specifically with these you know kleptocrats in North Africa or the Mid- Mideast East or in uh, in Russia, just coming and hanging out in, you know in Cannes or in uh, Monaco, you know, in the Italian Riviera or in Monaco, like that's that's just got to stop. And you know, do I think that's going to be done in a completely transparent and great way? That's be- that's great for all the taxpayers. Probably not. But I do think like this is pretty interesting stuff that's happening with politicians having to directly answer to their constituents and saying, like, why are you allowing this to happen again and again and again where just these absolute crooks and kleptocrats are just hanging out, you know, enjoying the fruits of our labor, enjoying our sunshine, and then they just go back and they're just murdering people, raping people, uh, all the rest back back in their home country. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. And th- those are the discussions I you know you have at a place like uh, Oslo Freedom Forum.
0: Yeah, there's hypocrisy on all sides. I mean, like you said, we have it here in the United States. I mean, the big one of the big news items of the last couple weeks has been Nancy Pelosi's husband uh, got caught, got wrapped up in a DUI charge in Northern California. Got a little too tipsy in Wine Country, driving around Napa Valley. Pissed drunk. Uh, apparently hit a car or was involved in an accident. Who knows who hit who? Uh, but there's rumors going around that that DUI charge is going to get swept under the rug. Um, so you have the Pelosi's, uh, Nancy being one of the most powerful politicians in the United States, uh, actively insider <laughs> trading against the American public during the day and then driving around pissed drunk at night with impunity. Um, yep. There's yep. a spectrum to this, obviously. They're not raping and pillaging individual Americans, but man, there's this two tiered system that that exists throughout the power structure of our world.
1: Hundred percent, man, hundred percent on that side. I mean, when you look at that, when beating ninety percent of the market, and you know her visa connections were clear, and all these other things. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I I don't think there's. An easy answer to any of this i mean as a as a libertarian as a classical liberal as someone who's uh fan of you know freedom as a bitcoiner uh we just got to keep doing what we're doing educate talk about the good things you know stay true to our morals yeah and i think i think you know i think things we're definitely in a new we're definitely in an inflection point new world here after ukraine It's huge. I, I wanted to ask you. We talked about it a little bit last show. Uh, I know you have a lot of guests and listeners who probably disagree with our views in Eastern Europe. But uh, did you get did you get positive feedback? Did you get negative feedback?
0: Mixture of both. Make sure. So you were on after you were the immediate episode after we had the dude who writes a serious report. Uh, he's an English gentleman, and he he gave the basically the case that there was a lot of uh instigation from the west encroaching on um on Russia's borders with NATO um, uh what am i looking for bases and all of that and, and he gave the instigators perspective on that and then you came and gave the the European perspective and obviously so there's mixed reviews my conclusion after having those back to back episodes um and the reaction to those is that it's all fucked like we just said like there's there's a spectrum to this obviously uh Putin the Putin regime is on one extreme of the spectrum and as I articulated the last time we spoke like I'm not happy at all with the leaders that we have here in the United States and in the West and their provocations. And I think, I think people like yourself, myself, most importantly, Ukrainian and Russian citizens just get fucking thrown in the the middle of these proxy wars that at the end of the day, individual Russians, individual Ukrainians, individual Americans, Latvians, um, just want to raise their families, live a good life and, and, and live an honest life and we're thrust into these geopolitical dick measuring contests between psychopathic kleptocrats again that exist on both sides of the aisle um, and I do think that's why we focus on Bitcoin because it helps us get away from, from these people from all angles so um, yeah mixed reviews a lot of people um yeah really appreciated your perspective. I appreciate your perspective because I, again, like we discussed last time you are on, I am that American is pissed off at his government for just, uh, I, I like to, I would like to apply a Ron Paul foreign policy uh, here in the United States where um, it's like, Hey, leave everybody else alone and just focus on fixing our problems here in the United States, which are, uh, pretty material and seem to be mounting day by day. I, I think meddling uh, in other people's affairs is is just making us worse off in the long run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to rehash the Ukraine thing, but I can say, first of all, completely agree. I mean, I'm a classical liberal libertarian here in Eastern Europe, you know, on the one of the fronts of Russia and Belarus and all the problems. Um, so I've thought about this a long time. I've had a lot of friends over here, and I think I said it I say it on most shows or interviews, like Europeans, classical liberal Europeans, they have very different views than my typical example is the Texas libertarian, which, you know, now you're out of Jersey, you're out of New York, you're you're in Texas. Uh you have that that view, which I understand very well. Um, you know, don't even need to describe it. Everybody should know when I say <laughs> Texas libertarian, what that means. So good. Uh it's totally good. And I think that um There's no problem keeping with your principles, staying consistent. And, you know, as a libertarian from a small country that's suffered from those proxy wars, from those occupations, uh indirectly, you know, my family is uh of immediate Latvian descent, grew up in the States, went back afterwards, and now, you know, shit's happening again. Uh, this is all like super real for us and not just me being a foreign Latvian. Everybody knows it here. People's grandparents shipped to Siberia, whatever. We had all this shit. We've gone through all of it. So the fact that it's going on again, that they're trying to do this imperialism again, like we're just going to stand up for it. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if, you know, I, I see interesting things happening in a libertarian party in the United States, um, you know, with the Mises caucus, like that doesn't mean that, uh, people can't, uh, rise up, gain a f- gain uh, followers and people that believe in their ideas and change policy, and I'll be fine with it. I mean, if the United States wants to completely leave NATO, I'd be fine with it. Uh, we have enough power and will and strength here now, uh, I think, to defend ourselves, which is very, very good. Um, and as for the argument, which I don't know who this gentleman is that you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't see the episode or anything, but... Uh, if I, I presume it was the art of art, the typical argument about NATO encroachment, um, I don't want to rehash all that, but it should be obvious now after a few months. It's very interesting what's happening in Europe, in Northern Europe. Um, in particular, you have Sweden and Finland who are ready to join NATO after literally you know, Sweden 200 years of a neutral foreign policy, Finland famously avoided occupation, unlike the Baltics, which did not avoid it. Uh, they avoid, avoided Soviet occupation, won the Winter War, stood for peace. They still suffered greatly. I mean, if they had taken the deal that Stalin offered them, they would have theoretically lost less land and lost less troops. But you never know if Soviets would have invaded later. So they actually stuck up, to, they, they, uh, they stuck up for themselves. They rose up and gave the Russians an unbelievable fight in the Winter War uh, to start a World War II And they were kind of neutral as well, had this sort of, was a term they don't really like, this Finlandization, which is basically a completely neutral and also slightly communistic view, uh, where you really accepted communists and Soviet views as something that maybe should be thought about and researched and everything. So a little bit communist, the Finns, just because they had to be, they had to be where they were in their history, like their geographic location and everything.
0: Yeah, they're on the eastern border of Russia, correct? The Western border. Western border, Russia. yes. Western border. The
1: border, yeah. China's thousands on it. of, Thousands of... Yeah, yeah, China's the other way. But, you know, thousands of miles, thousands of miles of border f- with Russia. And so I will debate anybody about this. I have no problem debating the NATO expansion thing. I think I said it on the last show with you as well. Like, you know, this aggressive NATO expansion or this, you know, thumb in the eye of the Russians, the Baltics were the last ones to come in really the last like big countries or countries that were like kind of close to soviet type occupations yeah there was like croatia and north macedonia came in later but the baltics and poland and um you know hungary these types of nations they came in Actually, hungary a little bit earlier but baltics and and uh czech republic slovak slovakia they came in in 2004 Like that is a long time ago. That's plenty of time for Putin to think if it was really NATO that caused him to somehow invade a sovereign country. And, you know, uh, people that were like young infantry men and women now were barely a twinkle in their father's eye when the Baltics came into NATO. So this is nothing new. This is nothing that caught him off guard. And back to the elephant in the room here, the amazing thing of the last three months is like Finland and Sweden, they're going to join. I mean, Turkey, Turkey is going to yield to them. And that they want to join. Everybody wants this sovereignty. They have agency to choose their own security. Like they don't want to deal with this shit. It's modern, you know, it's 21st century, 2022. This is, you know, this is, this is real for them. This is Europe. We want freedom. We want normalcy. We want free trade and all the rest. Um, But you just can't be going in and causing, you know, rapes, pillaging, and murdering, sending you know washers and dryers back to East Russia uh, just because you want them and just because you want to dominate Ukraine. Point being, it's obvious it's not about NATO. If it's about NATO, if this NATO is such a big deal for Putin, why isn't he going and in, invading Finland right now? Finland's joining NATO. Stop him Go in. Go, go make a provocation. A, a NATO country cannot join if it has a provo- provocation with another country. So do it. Putin should go in cause, you know, as he, as the Soviets did during World War II cause, you know, dress up a border guard in, uh, in Russian, uh, in Russian clothes, uh, say that that border guard was shot. Um, and, you know, and then that's a provocation for, you know, for entering or starting something, start a provocation. Absolutely. That like, why not do it? And the answer is obviously he's not going to do it because it was never about NATO. It was never about this Western encroachment is about, Putin being a crazy kleptocrat who wants to dominate Ukraine and he wants to dominate uh, this former Soviet space that he knows is still relatively corrupt and that he can, you know, take their oil and resources and all the rest and their wheat and their grain. So, I mean, it's, you know, but anyway, the, the point is I would be totally fine if the Americans got out of NATO. And I think a modern classical liberal position would be, you know have them get out of nato have local alliances only you know i mean but we we need the alliances like the baltics need it um poland you know hungary's got their issues with their with orban he's a bit he's a bit crazy these days but you know the czechs the slovaks uh romanians bulgarians croatians all these people they want normal lives and, and now you include the scandics into that like they're they're not ever going back to the days of World War II, so I'm actually very heartened to see the alliance get stronger from that side as someone who holds you know a Latvian passport, as someone who's a European, also with an American background, also as an American. Um, I'm totally fine if the Americans would like leave the alliance. Uh, I would also say good luck, good luck making that happen politically, as we know uh, there's too many crazy interests that are going to try to assert themselves. And it's very, that's a whole nother issue, which is bad. It's absolutely bad. Um, but, you know,
0: yeah, that's, a, that's my whole, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I, I really, I mean, there's so many factors here and so many moving variables at play. Number one being like, you make the argument that Europe and the West sort of shifted leverage in Putin's favor which idiotic energy policy over the last two decades. Like there's, I would like to see like, as I don't ever, I don't know if maybe I am libertarian. I've never described myself. I, I don't like to throw a label on myself. I do think maybe this is libertarian. I'm just, maybe I'm just being uh, like a hard trying not to put a label on it. But I do believe free markets can liberate the world. That's why I focus on Bitcoin predominantly here this media platform that i have and i I don't think free markets particularly in energy were able to flourish throughout europe over the last two decades and that shifted a lot of leverage into putin's hands as he has control of (laughs) the fuel source of, of western europe um and i think one can make a very strong case that the invasion of ukraine would have been uh, significantly less likely if if Putin didn't have that that chess piece to play of having all the leverage over Europe's energy sources. which um, so obviously the the invasion has created a energy and food crisis um, or exacerbated an energy and food crisis uh, to a point where um, people are having to buy gas and oil and rubles, and they're they're having to. Pretend like they're not doing that by buying Russian petroleum products from from India or go into the middle of the sea and buy it. And I think uh, again, I I think we need to liberate markets from these central planners, whether they be in Russia, in Ukraine, the rest of Europe, or here in the United States, and just let yeah. let us peaceful citizens. Interact with each other and conduct commerce with each other. Um, I don't like, just personally, I don't. I don't like the the, the ginning up of more um, saber rattling on the war front in terms of alliances and focusing on a solution via force with strengthening NATO and stuff like that. I think what Europe should do, and what the United States should do, is realize that they made very strategic very large strategic errors, particularly via energy policy that has shifted leverage into Putin's hands. And instead of trying to brute force and exacerbate an already terrible situation of war and potentially push the world into World War Three, like Western leaders should be a bit introspective and uh, own up to the mistakes they made on a policy from a policy perspective and try to fix that. Um to hopefully mitigate um any potential escalation of physical conflict moving forward. But it doesn't seem like that's happening at all. And these western governments seem to be doubling and tripling down on idiotic energy policy. So that's where I stand right now.
1: Yeah. It's hard to um It's hard to not see politicians not taking the mantle here, beating their chest, showing this effect, sort of intellectualism and this faux leadership, like, Uh, unfortunately, this is what politics is sort of geared to, right? It's like, should be typically dealing with these big outside issues. But unfortunately, you've fucked everything up. Uh, over the last twenty years, as you've alluded to, all of these different things—from energy to uh, to labor to commerce, whatever—and um, and now this war gives politicians an excuse to do more bad things. So yeah. I, I understand it. I mean, I you know, it gives it gives someone like Trudeau who literally just imposed financial Armageddon and martial <laughs> law on his citizens like the next week. To go to Europe and act like he was some champion for freedom uh because he sent, you know, Ukraine some some vests or whatever. So yeah. um it's not it's not an easy solution, but it is also you know, it's another view that I take and whatever. We can move on to the to actually you know, talking about something more concrete, like the like
0: well, I the think this tweet. provides a good segue.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it does. But I but it's also a, opinion of mine basically and that you know if you go back to this idea of just okay europe europe has always suffered from wars and infighting and all the rest um we're not at a place where we have like uh private insurance private defense contracts we're all rich enough to have our own sovereign flag you know eight billion sovereign flags not just 200 we don't have to outsource things like we're not in the position where we don't have to outsource things like military and political decisions for, you know, things that we don't want to partake in. So we're very, very far from that. Whatever that utopia might mean, and I know we never get to a utopia, but we're never, we're very, very, you know, it's a hundred years, thousand years, we're very, very far from it today. So focus on what you can. That's concrete, That's Bitcoin. And then regarding the political stuff, I would just say, um, yeah, I'd just be, you know, I would implore 'Cause I know well, I I assume, as you said, it's mixed reviews, but I would assume a lot of your listeners are these types of libertarians who why would they care at all what's happening in Europe and whatnot? And I fair enough. Man, I mean, I no problem with that. I would just say, you know, try to be sensitive to people that are suffering. Um, it's not it's not the United States' fault what Vladimir Putin is doing. It's just it's just not. And um, you know, I can provide books and links and all sorts of things to talk about this twenty-year Thing, but he, from the beginning from the beginning they had started this uh, election in 2000 was basically set up for him to win and there was been there's been no legal election ever since by an independent fact checker and all this the rest. so the democracy stuff in 2022 is just it might not be working in the united states as we want it definitely not working in russia
0: yeah as, i think i mean i think you'd have to be an idiot not to concede that fact yeah so it's it's <laughs> you know we're a we're a long way so
1: that's that's about it, really. Yeah. Uh, you also think the interesting question would be, like say the United States get that gets that right say we get a proper scaling down of government, right? I mean, how likely is that? I hope it is not sure, but let's say we get a reasonable not crisis induced uh, libertarian party, Mises caucus, uh, just explodes in popularity. let's say we get a moderate, reasonable scaling back of military. US troops in Germany come home, lots of things happen where the United States uh, shores up its troops literally and its budget, you know, economically. Great. Question would be, at what point does the United States ever come back if their European friends uh, screw things up again, or a group of European friends such as, you know, or enemies such as Russia, Russians just coming in and doing the bad things that they're doing. Uh, it's it's an interesting question, you know, because I, I don't think it's needed at the moment. Like I said, I, I I think the libertarian thing to do, the classical liberal thing to do, uh, Thomas Jefferson said, I'll trade with everyone, alliance with no one. He also started the whiskey tax and did a lot of other bad things. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, if we're, if if you really think that you can get to that ideal, that, that classical liberal idea, that American idea, whatever that is, great. Uh, I just wonder how, how that, how the American society would react if Europe falls apart again, and and we probably will with something. Uh, like, oh. It's not going to be as bad as the Nazis, but look, I mean, we had to, we had to come in as an alliance uh, to stop uh, the Nazis. And, you know, the, history you know, history could have been a lot different if we'd even gone farther. I mean, again, I'm speaking from an Eastern. We suffered both from the Nazis and from the Soviets, so you know. Don't forget, like Churchill wanted to go all the way to Moscow, but mm-hmm. uh, but they uh, they decided that it was it was not worth the cost, and um, Russia's never been the same. I mean, we, we have, Russia is, suffers from a hundred year problem of communism, just moronic, stupid people that uh, thought that they were being righteous and legitimate, and they just they tore down generations generations of people. So. That's going to continue. I, like I said, let it. I would absolutely be glad if Americans could shore up their resources and go home and clean up their own But uh, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. There's going to be.
0: Well, it all comes, it all comes back to energy. Like, energy right. is the base of, of human action. Like, it literally, if you, if you want to get to the the bare minimum like you, you spend energy to go hunt and eat like that is the basis of human action and I uh, uh, like we like what the fuck happened in 1971 for some reason we went off the gold standard and idiotic energy policy began to follow from that and I, I don't I don't think Europe is going to be in a good position until they again show some introspection and realize that their energy policy has put them in a very precarious and vulnerable situation. It doesn't seem like, I mean, Germany, the economic powerhouse of Europe seems to be doubling and tripling down, shutting down nuclear power plants in favor of unreliable wind. Um, And and that's the other thing. So I've been having a lot of conversations. I went on a, a libertarian focused podcast the other week. And even though I'm very, Happy to see that the Mises caucus has taken over the libertarian Party and jolted some life into the libertarian movement and and actually brought some um some power to that perspective in the political landscape here in the United States. Again, like I don't think we solved this by getting a libertarian in office. I don't think we solved this by getting a Republican or a Democrat in office or voting our way through this. Like I, I do believe you know, the Heikean view of we're not going to. I, th- I think you need to fix the money to fix the world and you don't fix the money until you take it out of the hands of the government. So even though there's great things going on in the Libertarian Party, I think it's a, a losing battle in the long run because they're just going to be thrust into the administrative state that is pretty... Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't care who is in power in, in that hierarchical structure at any given point in time. The administrative state just views those politicians as... Um, as a facade for the public to to look at and interact with where that's again why we focus on Bitcoin because you actually take the most important tool that humans use money out of the hands of the government so that you can then begin to take steps towards fixing these structural you know, systemic problems that exist throughout our, our global economy um, and then that's why like a libertarian podcast that went on was like stop like Debating Democrats, Republicans, and other libertarians about making policy change just go fucking build the world that you want to see, and Bitcoin provides us the opportunity to do that. And again,
1: what, was the what was the response?
0: It was open to it. Like um, that's the thing; most people don't understand that Bitcoin is this open source, global distributed network that you can plug into and fortify. Uh, at, at any point that you decide to um, and I, I think there's um, I think I did have a, a bit of a breakthrough there where it's like let's stop going to Vegas and trying to gin up support and create solidarity within the Libertarian Party so that you can then go up against the Democrats and the Republican on the national stage it's just like don't even play that game just get, mm-hmm. come play this game that's completely separate from that system which is Bitcoin and you'll find that uh, the obviously the most positive externality of that is you get better money, which allows you to facilitate uh, more peaceful and direct economic activity. And then you have the positive externalities that fall from that, which one of the first and most profound externalities is the, the impact on energy. <laughs> it makes energy, particularly stranded, a waste energy more profitable, which allows you to bring more abundant energy to the world, which over time, yes, we're not going to solve this problem overnight, uh, will will lead to less conflict because people have the bare necessities that they need to to fulfill the lower end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so when it comes to trying to fix this problem via Washington or via the EU or trying to shake Putin or take Putin out or whatever, like I think it's all noise at the end of the day and doesn't actually have us making steps in the right direction whereas bitcoin uh is that mechanism through which we can begin to carve a path in the right direction
1: Mm -hmm. amen brother completely agree with you
0: yeah
1: and i'm i'm actually very glad as well that any uh libertarian uh libertarian sort of thinker or even ron paul people that might be asked by professional News agencies to come on their shows or even their YouTube channel, that none of them will go on RT anymore. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> For about the whole 2010s, they were all getting on RT because RT was loving their views against the big bad US government. And I was like, oh my God, you guys have no idea what you're doing. Please stop it. Please stop it. <laughs> well, and now, and now people see what are, you know. RT is no different than NPR, which those people claim that they hate so much.
0: So. Yeah. My God, come on, TFTC, or we'll have uh, yeah, level-headed uh, conversations about this. Because like, it is there's, you know, one of the favorite buzzwords of the show is nuance. There's so much nuance to this, and it's not something that can be fixed overnight. But that's why, again, I like to focus on Bitcoin because I believe could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I believe that it provides us with the best mechanism to separate ourselves from that geopolitical proxy war that that humanity is suffering from
1: hundred men hundred percent it, it is interesting though. i mean like you know david friedman called it the hard problem and uh i never used to dwell on defense uh the issue of national defense and again we just don't have this eight billion sovereign flags private defense free market very low cost energy sort of world that we want yet so where we are right now it it, it It does yield different reactions and perspectives from many classical liberals or people or bitcoiners or whoever and uh, I, I know that you know again, I know this is a very u s based audience, but you're, you're going to hear many different views on defense from European classical liberals, european bitcoiners and but i got I got friends from the Swedish Macy's Institute that are sending me like Swedish video like Swedish propaganda videos of their military with like the Swedish like glory music, Viking music and stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you, you used to tell me that everybody else was the biggest statist in the world. And now you're sending me this stuff. And they're like, well, in this case, I understand. you know, it's that's one dude, thing I, I
0: worry about though, is like the fog grew, of war. Just I grew broke. up
1: in Ohio, man. I never thought about, you know, the things that my the people that came before me had to deal with in Europe. I never had to experience it. Of course, we protested it and tried to understand that stuff in the late 80s to get uh, to get freedom for Eastern Europe. But now that it's coming back, that, that freedom is in flux and threatened again, directly for poor Ukrainians who never quite got out of it. You know, Baltics got away, thank God, as fast as they could from any sphere of influence, which apparently some people didn't, the US think we should we should have under Putin. But again, I don't want to get back and sucked into that rabbit hole. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I just never had to think about it until now. And now you when you're here, you know, you have your family here, your daughter here, your, uh, you know, extent, some extended family, think about what might happen, if you would stay and fight, if you would go. Um, We've had these discussions for years and years. But when it actually comes down to it, and you see the just the horrid horrid uh conditions that they're dealing with in ukraine it it, it definitely makes you think and like i said there's it's not just me it's not just people in the baltics i mean you know swedes Finns, everybody's thinking about it differently now over here so it's it's a very different conversation uh than you probably have if you just keep it within you know thoughts on ukraine from afar with a bunch of I'm not. I'm not trying to sound pejorative, but with a bunch of tech libertarian, I mean, <laughs> you're going to get different views. You're going to yeah. get vast views. So, uh, I wish we had it, man. I really do. I wish we had that that world. But um, well, I'm, you, I'm I'm, but I'm obviously- all for Bitcoin uh, getting us where we need to be. But right now, here in 2022, it's in, it's it's definitely thought provoking, if not much yeah. worse, depending on where you
0: live. Yeah. Yeah, it's all fucked, man. <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, I mean, curse. You got the Chinese proverb slash curse. May you live in interesting times. And as time goes on, the times only get more interesting. And where we find ourselves today transitioning into the digital age and this hyper connected world that we live in, and the, I mean, humanity trying to come to grips with the, the pace of growth, I, I believe is the pace of change, maybe not even necessarily growth in and of itself, uh, is forcing us to attempt to rewire our brains rather quickly, which, as animals, as chemical beings, as uh, animals, it's, it's hard to come to grips with that pace of change and make clear, cogent, assertive decisions. But I think we'll get there. Again, that's why we focus on Bitcoin. It's not going to fix everything overnight, but I, again, believe it allows us to take steps in the right direction. We're taking the first baby steps that hopefully will lead to um, something that makes the world a better place for your daughter, my son, my child, that I thought was going to arrive last week, but seems to be a bit stubborn. Um, mm. we got to make these... These small steps so that they can they can run to bring a, a cheesy uh, saying or
1: they're gonna make a good Bitcoiner with that
0: stubbornness it's important. yes, yes, it, it is really important people. well I mentioned, I, world just yet. I mentioned a segue earlier and what I wanted to segue to was revert back to what we were discussing earlier, which is CBDCs. and so viewed as a segue because with all this going on, um, and obviously we have economic sanctions against Russia and the financial global community seems to be bifurcating and the Davos class seems to think that CBDCs are a good way to, um, prevent kinetic warfare or, um, use CBDCs to punish people, uh, in the physical world. And, um, What's going to happen if CBDCs do come to market? I'm a bit skeptical. I don't think the administrative state has the technical capabilities to actually bring it to fruition. Obviously, there is a counter example to that in China and their social credit system and everything they have going on there. But how would CBDCs, let's run down the thought experiment of them being successful, how would they affect what you do on a, quarter-by-quarter quarter basis with your monetary base update
1: yeah good question totally agree with you and uh if we can go to it's tweet. uh i know we got to talk through this for the radio for the pod but uh one second it's tweet 15 tweet 15 um First of all, you remember, I think it was, I, I you know, I got to write this stuff down, I always say, but... <laughs> always say it, every episode. <laughs> every episode. It was your... I think it was your pod the I first started to talk about it. One of the first interviews we did, maybe the first interview we did, 2018. Uh, was it started 2019? I'm not sure. Um, where, I think it was 2018. Uh, I said... Then I continue to say now I'm extremely skeptical about CBDCs. I don't think they work economically. I don't think they, uh, like you just said, could work technically. You have massive risk factors there. You think about all the threat mitigation that Bitcoiners go through. Like you think the state is going to be able to handle that, to be able to hold that candle even close to that. Um, So I've always been skeptical about the technical sort of... uh, adoption of CBDCs. And on top of that, you got something that's much better. Again, I know we're Bitcoiners here, but you got something that's much better and easier to use in the form of stable coins. And stable coins are going to be a the thing that they're going to try to regulate first. That's what I said like four years ago in our first interview. And that's what's happening. So CBDCs are, uh, still very much a technical, marketed sort of thought experiment worldwide worldwide now it's yeah it's 100 central banks are researching it all the rest china started it with the beijing olympics all the rest um let's 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 go through a few things here with this slide so this is the good old global monetary base everything in the world whether you have an account whether you have a stable coin uh anything but bitcoin or a dollar bill that you hold in your pocket or a euro or a yen uh, everything is fiduciary media which means it's not money that settles immediately ultimately the core of the financial system everything but bitcoin gold silver traditionally historically and today uh base money being those notes that the central bank prints also they print some money for a lot of money for the banking system uh that's that's those are called the bank reserves those two things together in the current modern financial system, that is the monetary base, okay? That's the ultimate settlement. That's how the system settles. That's how banks settle with one another. That's with each other. That's how uh, y- you and I settle with our proverbial coffee shop when we buy that coffee. The system's, uh, the, the, the transaction is done fully final if we hand over a note that is legal tender uh, printed from the government. So that's what this slide is. <clears throat> i got to work on the contrast, obviously. <laughs> to read, uh, but this one is there's two. You can see two different blobs there, uh, obviously growing like crazy. And the actual amount that they grow is about 13 percent per year since 1970. So that's one. That's about one percent a month, uh, compounded. Gets you to 13 percent a year, not 12 percent. So one percent a month, uh, compounded since 1970 gets you some from something that was you know a couple hundred billion dollars equivalent and i'm not talking just dollars here. this is worldwide figure this is 50 central banks a couple hundred a billion dollars in 1970 to 30 trillion dollars today and that's a lot of money okay this is this is cash money this isn't elon musk borrowing on his tesla shares to buy twitter uh leveraging something you called fiduciary media Uh, everything is fiduciary media except for base money, this is actual money, cash money. It's a lot of money, right? 30,000 billion dollars, 30,000 billion dollars of actual money. Uh, Now not all dollars, some is yen, some is euros, some is yuan, uh, Korean yuan, Argentinian pesos, Brazilian real, and all the rest. Uh, That's on this chart, all right? This is the printing press of the central bank. This is base money. Uh, we've talked about it now for many, many quarters. This is actually the 16th update. So the fourth full year of doing this, uh, happy to show this to everybody because this is it. BIS is going to show you this. IMF's not going to show you this. This is the one, All right, This is the proverbial printing press of the central bank. So the wholesale money <clears throat> is the, is the bank reserves, right? That's basically how the fed really gets money into the system, uh, or any central bank. Okay. That's when they're buying typically government bonds. And, uh, when they buy those bonds, they take them out of the system, but they buy them with money that they just created to get into the system. So that's how they increase the money supply, uh, on a, on a quick way, on a fast way, on a high powered way. It's called high powered money. So that's the light shaded area. Those are bank reserves or wholesale money. None of that is going to be CBDC. It already works. It's electronic. This bank's, the big banks probably control 75 to 80% of the monetary base anyway of those bank reserves. So think about that. You're talking about a handful of banks. I know this is a fact for the US, and I presume it's a fact for your brother, but I don't know for sure because they don't publish. At least I haven't seen the data. But all of that white, uh, lighter shaded area, right? So it's like $21 trillion equivalent, $21 trillion, $21,000 billion worth of base money. All right which is the core of the financial system it's how banks settle with each other um that is controlled by a handful of banks in each country okay in each market in each currency market so why would you need a cbdc for that it already works it's not like everybody knows the, their federal reserve board governor at the big bank jamie diamond gives you know, anybody from the New York Fed a call, anybody from the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C., a call. It's not a problem. Like, it's not a mystery who these people are. They all are working. You know, this is something that Rothbard has been writing about. Many people have been writing about it. has been going on for decades and decades. Like, that's not the issue. So that CBDCs are not going there. It's not going to be wholesale bank money currency that we're talking about. We're talking about CBDCs. We're talking about the darker shaded area on that chart, which at present is about $9.2 trillion, a lot of money, $9,200 billion equivalent of cash. So that's the actual cash, like the physical cash money all around the world, floating around and under mattresses and in safes and in grocery tills and all the rest. That's, That's money in the system. That's what they want to be the CBDC. All right. So whatever Bloomberg talks about, whatever CNBC talks about, whatever the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England talks about, they're just blowing smoke up your ass. They have no idea actually how much money is in the monetary base. So here it is. This is the answer. It's a lot of money. And I said this at the Oslo Freedom Forum as well. With, uh, I ask you a simple question, Marty. Do you think for both of those items, is that chart? Is it going up or is it going down? Is it going up in a gentle direction? Is it going up quite fast?
0: <laughs> Which way is number going? <laughs> some describe it as hockey stick growth. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> so number is going up there. All right. This is what this is the only thing that they know how to do. And cash is a huge part of society. Like we don't have to wax and lean too much on this, but on this particular point. But like you just Uh, So here's the thing, actually. Odell did a poll, which is typical. We knew knew that the poll would be taken, of basically asking, okay, so how many people are you actually using physical cash today? And it was the vast majority, a few, vast, excuse me, minority, a few people in that room raised their hand when he asked that question. And I understand that. But the thing is, they're not representative of the globe and they're not representative of just... Billions of people that would be destroyed if you tried to just overnight, shut down the system go to some mysterious CBDC based on your phone system of money. It's not going to happen anytime soon. It's not going to happen. The numbers are out of control in the favor of paper money and paper currency. And no matter how much they're trying to regulate it, shut it down. We were in Norway of all places. I mean, Norway is famously over the last like 15 years trying to be the cashless society. Of course, they can because they have about $220,000 worth of pension funds sitting in every citizen's account. $220,000 per citizen is about the pension fund size of Norway's, about $1.3 trillion. That's on the Norwegian central bank's balance sheet. So they actually have a very, very small... Monetary base in Norway is actually the smallest of all fifty that I calculate. Uh, Typically, sometimes it fluctuates, but it's the smallest. But they have a huge line item of real assets, unlike you and me, who you know I'm not even getting any any social security, but you, Marty, you're not either. (laughs) 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 I mean, this there's no money that's in the pension funds or any unfunded liability account of uh, of the United States government. So when people say like your the Social Security is bankrupt in in the U.S. It doesn't mean that they're taking in less money than they're earning in taxes. They are, and they have been cash flow negative since 2011. But what it means is is that the money's gone. Like the like the money when people say that Social Security is bankrupt, it actually has been already lent out to another branch of the government, the military, agriculture department, whatever, and it's been spent. So any money that would need to come back into this I can't even remember the number right now, actually, of, of what the Social Security unfunded liability figure is. Our pension fund, our quote unquote pension fund, United States, it's trillions of dollars. Of I think it's
0: just, between like seven and nine trillion or something like that. Yeah, it's trillions
1: of dollars. And that, that's not there. It's literally money that has to be taxed twice. It's just sitting there. It's like the government owes that money. Uh, to itself so that the social security department is owed that money from say the military or from some other branch of the government but it's not there either right they only make money and and the government makes a shit ton of money every year in taxes right it's like four trillion dollars i think maybe more now might be a couple year old figure actually but trillions and trillions of dollars It's, it's the biggest organization in the world that collects money forcefully or not forcefully from anybody okay it's massive but it goes out right away, immediately. Social Security has been not cash flow positive since 2011. So, why do I bring all that up? Uh, basically, even a place like Norway, where, um, or I should say, ironically, a place like Norway is the only country in the world that really has a strong pension fund that's like actually has hard at like they have hard assets in there, they have oil assets in there, um, they have a decent amount of gold on their balance sheet they have actual assets for their, uh, constituents for their, for their, for the citizens that doesn't exist in the United States. doesn't exist in many, many Western, uh, European countries. And so sort there of doesn't miss, like, exist anywhere else in these kleptocratic countries. So there's not actually money there. Uh, having a digital currency would, um, and so here's, here's the, Here's the rub of why this isn't going to work economically. Uh, the banking system needs deposits to work. Okay, we, Let's not talk about whether it's a fraud or not uh, You know, lending money in, in the banking system. The banking system needs deposits to be profitable. If banks don't have deposits, they can't loan those deposits out and make money on the interest. It's just not going to work. The idea of CBDC is we remove physical cash from society. That physical cash, which is on the central bank's balance sheet right, right now, on the central bank's balance sheets, $9 trillion globally. That would then switch to this sort of these digital currencies that could be much more controlled. They would argue efficient, but really it means controlled, censorable, turn on, turn off, tell you if you've had too much alcohol, uh, plug into every, uh, every vendor's digital currency account. So basically there's no cash that's sitting in a grocery till. There's no cash that's sitting in safes or under beds. We get rid of that. Also, we can control interest rates that way, but you know, we'll say worry about that. Everything is is controlled at the central bank level. It sounds like a communist you know, manifesto. It sounds like a communist dream, and it is, but there's no way, especially in the deep markets of Europe and the United States, there's no way it would work because what would it would do? And all the papers acknowledge this, by the way, all the papers on CBDCs by central banks, they all acknowledge that it's a tremendous challenge Or drag on the financial system's profitability. If you were to have deposits leave the banking system, just like, hey, you know, I got, I got PayPal, I got Venmo, I got my banking app, whatever. It might work, might not work, might not be that good, but you know, at least I have that, right? That's what the average person is saying. I'm fine with it. But if you come in as the central government and say, "Hey, we got a central bank account for you," it's going to be much better. Uh, Use it. I in fact. We're making you use it. Uh, that that money does go away from the banks. It, it means that the deposits yeah. that you hold with your banks it goes away. So that's a massive drag on the financial system, which is why it's never going to work in mass in capitalist societies. The only society it might work in right now with any legs is China, because obviously they're communists. They don't care about their people. They they want to control their people. And anyway, it's an extremely digitized. Payment processing system with uh, with uh, Tencent and Alipay so um, that's the only one which maybe they can make it work because anyway they have all these communist style resources and they don't have a fully private banking system uh, so that's where we'll probably and, and everybody knows that's where we are seeing some uh, innovation let's say in CBDCs
0: yeah Yeah, CBDC is, to put it another way, as succinctly as possible, they just cut out the commercial banking system, which is what allows you to go take out loans and take risk and uh, get access to capital markets to go operate as an entrepreneur, as a capitalistic entrepreneur throughout the economy. So if you're going to replace that deposit system with a direct connection to the central banking system and use that as near access to the monetary system alone, it completely cuts out all those services that the commercial banking system provides the world.
1: Exactly. And they know this. They know this is written. I mean, this is the discussions they're having. This is the crucial discussions. But they, they're blowing a lot of smoke. You know, it makes news stories. It makes Bloomberg, CNBC, all the stuff. The numbers show that it's never going to work that way. First of all, cash is way too hard to take out of the system. I mean, so many people suffer. India tried to do it, by the way, in 2016. They took out two bills, two types of bills.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I
1: can't remember which ones. Uh, because There's like a 500
0: better, rupee bill and um... uh,
1: yeah, yeah, something like that, right? And they wanted better digitization, serial serialized bills, uh, sort of things that you can digitally check easier with those bills. That's what they wanted to do. It was a control measure, right? Completely messed up the Indian economy for a few months. It was down from, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was way down. Uh, Collapsed the money supply in like half in a few months. And now, three years later, it's like triple. (laughs) So they didn't keep it down. It didn't help sort of banks sort. It was still, there's still physical notes they replaced it with. But it didn't like help banks sort of get a better judge of who needed the bills where the bills were going that was the idea okay it might have helped a little bit but it's not like they kept the money supply down it's three times more than it was in 2016 the indian rupee in physical currency so it's just not going to happen it's not going to happen the numbers don't make any sense for cbdc both on the physical currency side actually mattering for a society transacting which society which is mostly needs to just needs to do that daily trade you know in and out of physical cash like you know maybe in certain western places we don't have to do that we can afford to just wait a little bit use paypal venmo or you know eventually we're going to use lightning things like that it's just there's no way that the vast majority of the world is going to handle anything like this cbdc and and here ties it back now to what i was talking about with the uh with the unfunded liabilities the pension funds all these other things the state can't manage any of those assets and the central <laughs> bank can help it either so there's no way that like that that money will have to be will probably be issued and then uh in return they'll buy more bonds because of it right because that's what they, that, that's the only way you balance the central bank balance sheet is you you issue something you print it out of thin air and then you take something out of the market which is typically a government bond we can actually uh, talk about why they do that and why it affects interest rates. But just in pure mechanical form, that's what happens. So they can't manage any of that stuff. They can't manage pension funds. They can't manage like, you think the bank is going to be, you know, just like the state bank, the central bank is just going to be some new, innovative, amazing manager of a, of a pension. But the only country that can do this is Norway. And that's because of the oil. It's because of the history. It's because of the amount of population, the geography, all sorts of things. It's There's scalable
0: no. in Norway. It's not scalable here in the United States or
1: the United States, not in Europe wide. Um, did you see that interview? You saw that interview with Christine Lagarde. Amazing. Oh, yeah. in, year, due uh, in due course.
0: In due <laughs> course. In due course.
1: I, mean, I used to think she was smoother in these
0: interviews. She she was speechless. Well, let's give credit to uh, the moderator of that town hall meeting. He he put her feet to the fire.
1: Yeah. Yeah, who was that guy, by the way?
0: Some Dutch guy. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that was that was solid. That was solid. She was so, a speech. She could not. She could not explain how that balance sheet is going to be normalized, how it's going to come down. And as we all know, because we actually follow this stuff, and on any, I'm sure any listener to the show knows, it's never coming back down. It's never going to be normalized. This is the new normal, and it's going to keep being the new normal. Inflation, inflation, inflation. That's how it works.
0: Well. Another good segue. You were you were saying we can explain uh, how the Fed creates interest rates. So like people say like, all right, the Fed will come out and they want to raise rates fifty bips. They're not. They don't just go into a computer and say like, all right, now the Fed funds rate is fifty bips, right? Like you were mentioning with the creation of money and the purchase or selling uh, and taking money out of the system of bonds, they they interest rate target. So they attempt to either create. If they're lowering rates and they want to target a lower rate, they'll create money and then they'll buy these treasury bonds from the commercial banking system and attempt to get the Fed funds rate at that level. They don't set it; yeah. they target it, and then they use the creation of of new money and the purchasing of assets to get to that rate. Is that a correct explanation?
1: Absolutely. And I always take it one level deeper. I say, why did they do this in the first place? Right? Why are they buying government bonds? Why don't they buy? Gold or real estate. They used to buy gold. But Why don't they buy real estate? Why don't they buy corporate debt? Now, they're starting to do that now, but let's put that aside still. <laughs> Why don't they buy stocks? They, they could. They could buy anything they wanted. The reason, let's just take it to the deepest level. Why does the central bank buy government bonds? The reason is, is because they are a buyer that if other if did not exist, if that, if that buyer did not otherwise exist, the price of their related company of their sister government, the price of their government's debt would be higher, It'd be higher. So hard thing to understand sometimes it's interest rates have an inverse relate. Uh, the price of debt has an inverse relationship with interest rates, right? So the interest rate is lower. Uh, the price is higher. It's more expensive. Okay, but if the price is is uh lower, the interest rate is higher. Or if the interest rate is higher, the the price is lower, the value is lower. So what they are doing, why does the central bank buy government debt? It props up the price because typically they go down, right? They don't go up. It's only done once in the 1980s. Publisher took interest rates 20%. Typically, the rates go lower and lower and lower. Typically, what does that mean? It means the price of the debt is going up. It means it's higher than it otherwise would have been if that buyer of government bonds was not in the marketplace. So that's really like the core of central banking right there. That goes back to British times, like the sovereign being bailed out by the banks uh, and monopolizing the banks. But what the Bank of England, the first modern central bank, it's just to prop up the government. It's to prop up government. It's to make government debt more expensive than it otherwise would be in a free market. And that typically means higher price means a lower interest rate. So I hear about lowering rates, lower, lower, lower. It's not about like gearing up at its core. It's not about, you know, gearing the economy up and making rates cheaper for all of us so we can get the economy back on track and all of that. It's, it's just to make government debt more expensive than otherwise would be.
0: What another way to put that is to make it look better than it is, like uh, so to artificially give it what the market would deem a higher uh, rating in terms of like triple a double a yeah. triple B, yeah. yeah
1: precisely to be a buyer of last resort to be a uh, to be a buyer that just would not exist uh, in in the in the absence of that monopoly you'd have a competitive market a free market you'd have more arbitrage situations you'd have more uh, call outs of bad organizations like you do on a local level because remember still local governments can still go bankrupt and they do state governments can still bankrupt and they do the federal government never goes bankrupt because it's always supported by uh, the federal reserve and that's the same as any other modern economy is supported by its central bank but really what it means at its core it doesn't mean economic growth it doesn't mean full employment doesn't mean low inflation it means at its core the reason they buy government bonds is to give it precisely as you said marty to give it to just make it look better than it otherwise would. That's <laughs> yeah. why they buy. That's, that's no. There's no other reason for it. It's not. That's the core. That's the core of the reason. And that's 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 what their balance sheet looks like. So that's what you're going to start to see with more easy, easily printed digital money. Would be you would issue it, and then as you issue that, you would buy more government debt. So it'd be an even easier way to do that. Uh, but of course all it comes all with all the old and things as well. Bells and whistles that we all know would happen. Uh, but there's just no way, man, there's no way they're going to pull it off. Um, the pressure is huge. It's massive. Pressure, yeah. So it's, it's amazing how much they're talking about it. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm dealing in free real estate here. I'm not putting money on it or whatever, but I've said it for years. I don't see it happening uh, in the United States in particular. Uh, The dollar has too much to lose as far as uh, just where it is right now. It's certainly not needed at a bank level, right? So I'm not... Well, the banks
0: hate the idea of it, right? Because they get cut out of the whole situation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's in all the papers. No, no, no. It's not a... Everybody knows it. They all know that it's a challenge deep down. Like they know that... That they can't make this thing profitable for the banks <laughs> if we were in a monopolized communist Orwellian type of a situation where you have CBDC on a central banking platform, a central banking app.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Imagine the the app the sen- the Federal Reserve will create. Did you see the uh I mean for all the shit we get the Federal Reserve, I do love the scene. Louis uh, Federal Reserve database. But did you see the article they came out with this week? No. Comparing uh, the price of a carton of eggs as measured in dollars versus Bitcoin. They like tried to dunk on Bitcoin. They did Uh, they did the time frame was January 21st or excuse me January 2021 through April of this year. And they tried to dunk on Bitcoin because Bitcoin obviously was volatile with the price movements. But if if you look at the overall inflation rate of uh, a dozen eggs as measured in sats, it was something like 44%. And the dollar inflation rate over that same time frame was 77%. And they were like, look at all this fluctuating volatility in Bitcoin. But it's like, ah, at the end of the day, you had a higher inflation rate. And then they allowed you to to zoom out on the chart all the way back to January 2015. <laughs> if you did that, the price of eggs in Bitcoin fell by 99%. Uh, and it rose by 19% in dollars. So... They seem a bit confused in in their their messaging and attempts to attack Bitcoin.
1: Looking at it right now.
0: yeah,
1: Moronic. I mean, there's no hope for these guys. There's no hope. I mean, the only (laughs) way they keep on as they get on is because of that monopoly privilege. That's all that
0: comes down to it. Uh, That's all there's to it. Well, so a lot has changed in the central banking system since we last met. Obviously, we've had... Interest rate targeting, uh, the Federal Reserve targeting a higher interest rate. We had quantitative tightening begin within the last couple of weeks here. And obviously that's having a massive effect on the monetary and banking system. And there's uh, we had a negative GDP print in Q1 of this year. Uh, it seems like with all the data that's been rolling in month on month, since that GDP print came in, it's looking likely that we'll have another negative GDP print here in Q2, 2022 inflation still rising. You have the fed trying to tame that inflation. What number one is the fed doing from a monetary policy perspective? How would you describe the mechanisms of what they're doing? And number two, how would you describe the predicament they're in, in terms of uh, GDP falling inflation, staying elevated and um, seeming like it's not going to come down anytime soon. And, yeah. The decisions they have to make later this summer or into the fall
1: well you saw was it bullard uh, before a week or so ago uh who um one of the governors who after they were talking about okay we're gonna have to uh eventually hike even more uh again you know take some base money out of the system in order to increase interest rates we're gonna to have to do that uh a little bit more this year uh that will help to curb inflation fears might not curb actual inflation price inflation but it might curb inflation fears and that's what we might have to do and then Buller just said like a week or two ago is like oh yeah but after that we'll we can start talking about another cut again <laughs> 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 they're already talking about a cut while they're talking about increases So. Uh, it's both sides of their mouth as always, and I don't actually have any more, uh, you know, I, I'm not ready to make any other predictions, of, you know, as as I am like with the broad stuff about the trends of base money other than that. But I will say uh, it should always be, we should always be very clear about what this price inflation stuff means. And in my opinion, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, Just like this article you just pointed out about the eggs, which I'm looking at, which is hilarious in Bitcoin terms. You've got to like John Williams, Shadow Stats. I know you probably say it a lot on your show, Marty, but um, I will never uh, I finally get into a point, by the way, where I'm going to start doing some YouTube videos and I have a good charting engine that's coming and I have a lot of good data that I've collected over the years. Just like this monetary based stuff. And I really try to dig into a lot of these money supplies, what it means, what's the actual growth, how might that compare to GDP and other things and population and all the rest. Uh, but I say all that just to, just to point out that I will never, ever in a billion years have a CPI index in one of these charts. Never. And I just don't think it's worth the time of anybody to try to decipher it either. I mean, it's, if you're going to read something from the Fed, it's going to be gobbledygook that's absolutely going to support their position. And if you even try to see, like I remember talking about one of these times, how just hilarious how there was like a Bloomberg article that tried to decipher the two different types of inflation, like had tried to tie them together because there's like one that's from the BLS and one from the Fed that they're, they're, they're quoted differently. They're defined differently. and Of course, any sort of, you know, be be proper on our terms here, right? So the Austrian traditional definition is an increase in the stock of money. That's what I track with monetary base, the traditional inflation. This stuff, which really, they've been really going hard since like the 90s. That's when we started doing the price inflation targets and stuff. This stuff is just made up. I mean, it's literally, you know, filet mignons and, you know, Cornish hens in your uh, your hedonic of your meat one quarter. And then it's, you know, ground chuck the next i mean they are they're just changing the hedonics the underlying variables of these systems and it's it's just a simple index like no one it's free real estate no one can check these things no one has any it's not open source no one has any idea what these things mean and john williams himself has said and he continues to say that it's double it's it's at least double the real inflation, the real price inflation rate of goods, has to be at least double. But I would even take it a step further and just not say, "Don't waste your time with this stuff," because it's much more informative to look at real asset growth. Look at look at the price of gold. Look at the stock of gold. Uh, look at the stock of the monetary base. If you want to look at GDP, that's another one that's like very iffy. Fine, look at GDP, but don't go much further than that. Like, look at stock prices, uh, actual stock prices that you can verify with an index on an exchange that's traded and we know it's traded. Okay. Those can change in definition for sure, but it's a free market that like is a relatively free market, right? So those are relatively strong price signals. Yes. Yes. Look at the Bitcoin price. Look at the stock of Bitcoins. Those are the things that um, really always interest me. And I just, I just think it's noise, man. I mean, how many times have like you and I talked about this or you and I'm sure plenty of guests. It's, and, and they don't, it's not the right definition, right? I mean, we've lost that battle, unfortunately. Like I do, I always try to say money inflation versus price inflation. I try to be specific. I forget, you know, plenty of times, but it's just not the right definition. It's, but, but I think we've lost that battle. Inflation is typically defined as the central bank defines it, which is a general increase in the price level. But the problem is you just can't define that, you cannot define that. And if they define it, they're going to define it to their whim, not to yours.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> Who was the Austrian? Was it Mises who said inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomena? That was Friedman. Friedman. Yeah. Friedman, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So what he meant was price inflation is always and everywhere a monetary growth inflation phenomenon, which is what I like to follow and what I'm trying to calculate in that monetary base. Those numbers that I was telling you about that 13 percent per year compounded figure that's monetary inflation that's monetary inflation that always and everywhere will cause price inflation
0: yeah yeah I don't want to be that guy but I want to bring it up like if obviously we have attempts at quantitative tightening right now and a lowering of the monetary base the nature of credit markets specifically is going to curb the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world's ability to do that for a prolonged period of time, uh, considering the supply chain problems that exist throughout the world, creating very, very dire supply-side problems for people to get essential resources, and mm-hmm. the fact that new central banks are going have to revert course and begin expanding the monetary base even more, because yeah, as you've described, it's their only way out. Does the word hyperinflation begin to seep into your mind?
1: Impossible to predict. That's,
0: yes. what I was That's why I said Impossible. I don't want to be that guy, but there's a social aspect to it, too. So if you think of Bullard, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Board here, Christine Lagarde, over in Europe... Um And it's like there's cracks in the the social aspect of central banking that are beginning to show that town hall meeting in the Netherlands, which uh, Christine Lagarde was nervously laughing and just hand-waving um, the, the ECB's future movements to unwind that balance sheet away. Uh, and then we have Jerome Powell here saying that he's dead set on curbing price inflation here in the United States via interest rate policy. Um, and it's going to become glaringly obvious, I think, at some point later this year that even though they attempted to curb that price inflation with aggressive interest rate hikes relative to uh, what the Fed has done in recent decades, uh, that's going to prove to be ineffective to to curb uh, the runaway prices in in food and energy specifically. And at that point, does the public go, oh, shit, these people don't have any control over this. And then does the social aspect of hyperinflation begin to creep into the situation where people begin to panic and part ways with their dollars and euros um, as quickly as possible to get the assets they need to survive.
1: Yep. I think that positive feedback loop is inherent in any system. It certainly is inherent in a banking system. It uh, would not be inherent in a 100% fully reserved banking system, although I'm not an advocate for that or really care, I guess, one way or another. It could, could work in a Bitcoin world, might, might not work in a Bitcoin world. Uh, I'm a fan of free market systems, right, where you have the market forces, which are going to, if one bank decides to aggressively lend or be aggressive in their behaviors. Uh, other banks would quickly keep that bank in check, uh, putting other assets on them, whether it's gold in the vaults, or Bitcoin, uh, you know, in the wallets, if they can. Um, so that would be the ideal system, I guess, for me, what I'd say is, and with this system, that positive feedback loop is massive because you have this government that we've talked about, the central bank relationship between the government, where anytime that there is a crack, they the solution is to paper over it, literally and uh, figuratively. So, you know, again, I'm always hesitant to say that there comes a point, but you are right uh, that that would exactly be the scenario. It's a positive feedback loop. That feedback loop is exacerbated under this monopolized system more than it would be under any free banking system, more than it would be under any Bitcoin system. Uh, it's certainly more... Uh, macro as well so if you had a free banking system where you know one town decided to go crazy on you know real estate that would typically be an isolated thing or at least um uh, yeah it would typically be an isolated thing this is the idea for free market banking system here it's global as we talked about the reserves all this stuff when you talking about the interest rates all that money that flows in and out it's flowing out of just a few banks it's like a handful of banks, less than ten, say for seventy-five to eighty percent of those reserves. So it's extremely centralized. It's extremely top-down, and those are all recipes for monetary uh, disaster. If that positive feedback loop begins, it's just—it's just again. Look at the numbers. Look at the trends. Look at the trajectory. Those things, I know you're not a, like a doom and gloomer here. And I'm not either like we are optimistic about Bitcoin here. And I do think Bitcoin is going to play a role, which we can, can get to. Um, but it is, it is very dangerous. What I will say as well, what I wanted to say about this point is for all the problems Europe has with wars and all the rest, you know, the Germans in particular, they know the dangers of hyperinflation. Like they really know it like to their core. Um, and and that is, is partly the saving grace, I think, of Europe, of the eurozone system. You know, gold is actually a, a mandated part of your eurozone system. Uh, there isn't uh, there are different sort of the different things that that Europe has that the United States doesn't. Is a bit more checks. Um, of course, you have know, not good comments, uh, which are not not <laughs> not, 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 not positively. Or some comments not confidence uh, inducing at all yeah not confidence inducing from the leader of said bank um, nor really good legislation pieces that have been coming out lately uh, so those yeah there's a lot of negatives in the, in the negative column uh, even though I do think that as a whole the people do understand in Europe uh, really how bad things could get so you would think that they would try to hold their leaders a bit more accountable to that but um, you know again I I just this is something I cannot make a prediction on. I don't know the time. Yeah. No one knows the time. For sure no one can predict hyperinflation. It's, that is something that is uh it's 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 a it's a, it's a monster that can just come at any time. Uh, it's happened hundreds of times in the last 30 years.
0: Yeah. It's a social event horizon, right? Mm. It, again, there's obviously the mechanical expansion of the monetary base that comes into play, but the it's talked about a lot on this show because I mention it as much as possible. But many people in the mainstream and in the outside world completely discount the social aspect of hyperinflation. It's a, it's a confidence game as well. Um, and the,
1: yeah, it is absolutely a confidence game because of that monopoly. Like, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have this, this shenanigans. This fin- <laughs> ADA and everything else. you just wouldn't it, it's not it's not something inherent inherent to free markets, right? Like we don't have to worry about this in any other product. Why do we worry about it with our banking product? It's it's, it's that side. It's just so I know I know I'm speaking to the choir here. I know that I am. Please dear listener. I know that I'm speaking to the choir Well,
0: I don't think so because because I agree with you. I am actually partial towards how Finney's view of Bitcoin's future where you have a free banking system that is built on top of a Bitcoin standard um, where I think a lot of listeners are believers in full, fully reserved Bitcoin backed um, global banking system. But I I do think there's going to be a, a free banking system built on Bitcoin is enabled. And it's actually something I want to bring up with you because you're in Oslo and having talked to, Odell, about the experience there and what people are talking about. Uh, Chami and Mintz were a big discussion there. And I, I think, as a Bitcoiner, looking at what Eric's Siri and Obi and Justin Moon are building with the Fediment protocol, that provides a mechanism that could have a free banking system flourish on top of Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the uh, the mechanism of Lightning in general is... I want to call it fiduciary. There's a quote. I was actually literally just talking about this with Rodolfo uh recently this week. See if I can find it. I'll pull it up here for you. But um I have this quote, say, from Peter Todd uh, from like 2018 on lightning in general, which applies to this. Um I'll pull it up. But it but basically the idea is that, yeah, first of all, first of all, broad point. I don't even I would even you know be more agnostic as you said like i totally think that that Finian view could happen totally think that it could happen with this uh with this system of balances that uh that can be transported bitcoin-based balances that can be transported outside of the main chain under different rules different circumstances different users different use cases um, absolutely a believer that that could happen and if that does happen uh it would be a unique new type of money that had never been seen before because i do think that the it's not quite accurate to call the to call lightning a fiduciary system it's also not quite accurate to call it um it's not it's it's certainly not the rules of bitcoin so peter todd i can't even find it right now but but peter todd said in 2018 quote i still have Save Basically said, it's a middle ground state where it's not quite a claim, but it's also not quite under your control. The balance, it's possible if the sender really, really wanted to attempt, although he would be penalized. It's possible that he could maybe succeed in reclaiming the payment. Um, that was sort of the the he was he was it was a threat about senders reclaiming. Uh, that, that was the discussion. It was four years ago, but um, that idea applies. To all of this stuff uh that can that can be built on top and i i think it's a good it's a good description uh all right so your, your deposit account your bank account a stable coin which we haven't talked about yet all of those things are fiduciary media they are managed by a third party all that it, fiduciary media means it's a money and it's fine to call it money no problem like paypal venmo just call it money whatever you wish go crazy <laughs> all of that stuff is fiduciary media? It is man is media that is managed by a third party uh, on your behalf to settle. Some are better than others. Some can do quicker than others. Uh, but it's not base money. Okay, so base money is those dollars. Base money is gold. Base money is Bitcoin. This system is very interesting. I think that could happen. All of these systems on on Lightning and um, it's not. Qu- I, I would I would not go so far yet to say that it's a fiduciary media, but it's something it's, it's probably something different. It's probably something new and unique and it's a payment that would not have existed before. And if you wanted, if you really wanted to get back to base money, if you're worried for some reason, first of all, you don't need to have even have many funds on there at all. And if you wanted to get back to base money, Bitcoin, it would take a matter of seconds to minutes to do so, which is unlike anything that you can have in the current financial system. So, so this it's
0: a fantastic. good shit. Cha- this is a good change in your mind. Sorry? Is this a good change in your mind or good evolution?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, so again, to be fully agnostic, which I really am as far as how a free market banking system could go, I'm not an advocate for having a free market system. That's definitely like fractional reserve. And you have people that argue about this stuff. Like you might have a free market system. You might have a narrow banking system. You might have a fractional reserve system. You might have a fully reserved system. The the rub is none of that's going to happen anymore. And it, it's been dead for a hundred years because of central banking. So it's really just mental masturbation at this point anyway. That's why I don't like these fractional reserve arguments with Austrians. I know you're not going there and I agree with you hundred percent with the way that you put it with, with the Finian view, but it's just mental masturbation. It's never going to go anywhere. Uh, it's a dead, it's a dead idea. Um, because we have these central banks that are fully in control and fully monopolize the system. The only way is that, and sly roundabout way where we can get around the state money and that's obviously Bitcoin. The next step uh, do we go back to like this fully anarchic free market system? I don't know. What do you think? I don't think anytime soon. So it's again, it's it's built on top of Bitcoin. It's something in parallel that probably is more free market. Might be black, might use that word black market, but it's it's a system that's in parallel for a while,
0: yeah, I mean, I think the mechanism is certainly there to produce that anarchic system you just described. yeah, it does <laughs> do the social tendencies of the market lead us there? That's the question. Um, do people want that? who knows um the beauty is like we're we're having these tools built that. Well will yeah. allow people to go explore those options if they so wish.
1: And that's. I think it's like the discussion, you know, I mean, it's like, this is deep, deep, we're talking about deep, deep security, deep levels of freedom, uh, gatekeepers, you know, it was a Gary North quote I loved a while back. Gary North, rest in peace, who just hated Bitcoin. He thought it was a total Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Libertarian, I don't know if listeners might have read him. Interesting writing, but uh, he said in one of his speeches, which is not a unique really thing to him, but you're talking about academia and Ivy League and banking and all this stuff. It's just like all the gatekeepers are still here, but the walls are just, they're down, <laughs> you know? So the gatekeepers are going to hang around, but you can literally walk around them, Yeah. you know, into... Into, into the, the into the castle, into home, or into wherever you want to go. I mean, the walls are down, so that's really cool. Um, it's absolutely not going to change. Doesn't matter, like Loomis regulations uh, legislation doesn't matter to me. I don't think about it, I don't worry about it. Um,
0: I think this is something effective. we we really need to if obviously Bitcoiners like to talk we're in a meme war. narrative is very important but I think in terms of educating individuals outside the Bitcoin bubble and, or earnestly trying to explore Bitcoin as a solution is to highlight what you just did is that the walls are down and again like like I was expounding on this Libertarian Focus podcast a couple of weeks ago like we don't need to play within this mechanism anymore This this administrative state like we can the walls are down We can go walk around them and do it over here. It's just, again, a lot of social talk on this podcast, like just getting it through people's thick skulls that you have the ability to take this particular action and focus your attention and your work and your life force here, as opposed to trying to fight an upstream battle with an impossible battle that you're never going to win with the administrative state. (laughs) I think, and it's just trying. How do we? And maybe it's not the responsibility of bitcoiners, uh, individuals like you and I, who believe that this is the right way to go. How do we convince more people, or do we have the ability to convince them? Maybe people just need to come to, to this realization thing, yeah. on
1: their own. It's not in vain. I don't think. You know, we, I don't. I wouldn't call it a responsibility, but I would call it a you know, privilege. I mean, it's not in vain. To
0: do this stuff for sure yeah, yeah. i always love these conversations should we get back yeah. to like the monetary base what what, what should we highlight q one twenty. Yeah, yeah, uh, 21 do yeah. so you like the <sighs> new. i do i do i like okay. the new design overhaul uh, matt and i were talking on last week's rhr is very happy um that you're rebranding the porkopolis Economics over crypto voices.
1: <laughs> he always tries to tell me this. I'm like, dude, you know that I don't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate your enthusiasm there, but you know, long before it was a crime to label something crypto, yeah. I I just didn't, still don't care. But but it's uh, it's still there. The, the podcast is still called Crypto Voices. I mean, it's a sister brand, still there. Much to <laughs> I guess
0: so. Like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, Q4 2021 to Q1 2022, Bitcoin fell from the seventh spot in the world monetary base standings to the ninth spot.
1: Can we uh, can we look at uh, 18? eighteen? Eighteen. Yes, sir. I hope that
0: uh, it's a very divergent uh, chart. There, what's going on here?
1: Yeah. So this this was oh probably, yeah, it's a bar chart. Too, too much for this uh <laughs> for, the, for this forum. Uh, but let me just describe it. I would encourage listeners to check it out. But this is a this is I think it's called a tornado chart. So on the left you have uh, GDP per capita of all of these countries and it's not all countries right so you have the eurozone as one block you know you could think the united kingdom i guess is one block there's many countries in that but it's it's the uh it's the currency blocks right on the on the left and the right uh gdp on the left and the black gdp per capita and on the right is monetary base per capita monetary base per capita and as number one uh as we talked about there um is norway so the monetary base is minuscule. Like I don't know if you can, can see barely it there, see it. Yeah, That's sixteen hundred dollar. You know, I'm just going to say dollars. No, understand when I say that it's not dollars. It's Norwegian kroner. It's Danish kroner. All the rest. So sixteen dollar, sixteen hundred dollars equivalent per person in Norway. Okay, and again, that's cash. That's Norwegian kroner per person. All right, but they have that $1.2, $1.3 three trillion dollar sovereign wealth pension fund sitting on their balance sheet as well. So they don't, there's many reasons why they can go for this sort of cashless society and they can try to do this virtue signaling and all the rest, the ESG and all the rest. It's, you know, this is is the Scandic way, right? I highly doubt that they would do that if they didn't have this ridiculous pension fund that has, if you look at any other, uh, any other bar there to the right, this would be dwarfed okay uh, Switzerland is number 2 by the way it's 94,000 per person but obviously Swiss francs a huge currency multi uh, it's 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 traded everywhere it's traded in you know China I mean Swiss francs is a huge currency so obviously that Swiss francs are not all in Switzerland neither are the dollars but still it's a way to look at it $94,000 per person in Switzerland Norway has 1600 but if you look at that pension fund again it's two hundred and twenty thousand dollars per person in Norway. It's just, it's just insane. It's remarkable that they've done that. All the rest, but I, you, you got to think about these things when you start thinking about like what is going to what a CBDC is going to look like in uh, in all of these countries. I mean, there's just there's no good asset that you know those central banks can try to manage and work uh, hold something together. is just very very unique. All they're going to do is as we've talked about ad nauseum here is they're going to buy government bonds, make the government look better than it would otherwise look if the central bank wasn't there and uh, put money into the system and take the bonds out of the system. Therefore, increasing the price, lowering the rate, lowering the yield, lowering the interest rate. So Norway is a very unique beast, very interesting beast there, uh, very small uh, base money per capita compared to uh, like the wealth of its, of its people, the size of its economy which is the largest economy per capita in the world. So one of, I should say, I don't know if there's maybe uh, there's European union one and I'm going EU wide there or Eurozone wide. So anyway, sorry, another tangent. Um, so, so you have that there, you have the USA is about $18,000 person is the monetary base $18,000 just think about that that's not $18,000 in your bank account that's $18,000 cash absolute cash money um, of course the US dollars global currency the world's quote reserve currency other central banks like to hold dollars all the rest so as many many dollars that are outside of the United States but you know that's a lot of money that's a lot of money per person that is uh, that is printed and um you know
0: a country of 330 million people
1: yeah i will i will leave it up to the listener to think if that money is like you know if that's indicative of how the average person feels that you know if they if they feel that like they have the resources to merit you know that much money um
0: well i mean i'm sure you've heard the stat that gets thrown around often uh your average American, I believe 60%, probably more now, I would imagine today, compared to when the stat was popular a few years ago, 60% of your American citizens couldn't afford a $400 emergency expense without going into debt.
1: No savings, yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. So... I doubt if you were to poll your, your average American, man on the streets, yeah. they would they would feel that that $18,000 is indicative of yeah it's massive it's Massive. I mean, why would, you,
1: why would you have this money other than to be sitting as base money somewhere close to your control i mean i like guess what you know that's what money should be right just that think about think about that eighteen thousand dollars and yes i understand the number's probably lower because uh because uh, it's an international you know, huge portion of those dollars hundred dollar bills are more outside the u.s than inside the u.s i understand that Nonetheless, nonetheless, I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah, you
0: know, that's just, I mean, even if it's off by a factor of 10, your average American would still be like, a,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. $400 expense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: factor
1: of 10. That's a good way to put it. Jesus. <laughs> so, and then another one, obviously, which is interesting, which is crazy is Japan, uh, a little bit down the list as far as the economy goes um i didn't put that number in the uh description there but it's i don't know 10 uh oh it, actually the economy is huge g- gross right it's like the third biggest economy in the world uh if you can't eurozone is one block it's the third biggest economy i believe and third or fourth and but per capita way down all right so this is interesting because japan has famously been printing money for 30 years to get themselves out of the nikkei bust and uh 40 equivalent yen per person in Japan. Very rich country, very expensive country. Uh, I'm
0: not sure. Very terrible demographic situation over there right now.
1: I'd like to talk some Japanese as well to feel how they feel about that. Like, again,
0: base money,
1: you know, you should at least have a pretty good portion of that in your coffers, in your private coffers ready for as you said emergency expenses for your family for heirlooms passing things on for your nest egg savings it's a hell of a lot of money and all that money is in japan by the way net yen is not like unless you speak japanese you're not doing business in japan right so it's forty five thousand dollars worth of yen that they have per capita it's a massive balance sheet as you've asked me about before sometimes it's been number one Mm -hmm. in these quarterly updates so uh, they're printing money. They've done it for 30 years. They continue. You know, again, why would we expect anything to be different uh, as time goes on? So, well, it's, so, I think an interesting one.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you can't expect anything because, again, like we you've described, the mechanisms of the way this monopolized monetary system in this wedding of the central banking system and the governments that are printing all this debt like mechanically this can't be unwound right it, uh, mathematically
1: mechanically no way not possible yeah what do you think about uh so we talk a lot about inflation right in the current system the modern system and a lot of people wonder about a bitcoin system if it would have you know deflationary effects what do you think about about that as time goes on
0: I mean, I believe, I, uh, I believe that I think Jeff Booth price of tomorrow, the point he makes in that book is very enlightening where we we've had, especially in the tech sector in terms of software and iPhones and computers and the productivity increases that they've brought us and their relative price. Compared to decades ago, we've had extreme price deflation in those areas, despite the monetary expansion that the world has experienced over the course of that time in parallel. Um, and obviously, we've had stock, real estate inflation um, to healthcare, education, whatever, to counteract that deflationary pressures in the technology sector. Um, I don't see why moving to a sounder monetary system or sound monetary system wouldn't bring those deflationary pressures to those parts of the economy as well. I mean, I'm a believer that stocks, real estate, education, healthcare are being artificially propped up prices at least of those services and goods um, because of the monetary expansion. Could be, could could be simple understanding maybe there's more nuance that i'm not seeing but just
1: no I'm agreed not... I think, uh, it's absolutely going to be the case i mean it's, it was the case in the classical gold standard uh prices generally fell you know over a few hundred years um you know in the u.s pre like worldwide classical gold standard but in the u.s uh in particular but other uh, countries as well with these types of gold back uh gold-based dollar or pound uh, or Norwegian kroner-based systems. So prices did gently fall and it would be, I think, very good to get back to that. But you always get this uh, weird concern from people that that it would like, somehow be a bad thing if we had gently falling prices.
0: I mean, it's bad for... It just forces lenders to be more risk-averse with... Because it's bad for lenders at the end of the day, right? No. Yeah. So you, yeah. Well,
1: it's bad. It's potentially bad for borrowers, actually. Um, so now, like now would be a good time, obviously, with inflation. If you could get money, by Bitcoin. Right. If you could take a loan. That would be a great thing because you don't have to pay that uh, loan back in this fixed
0: lower. Yeah, I mix that up. It's bad for borrowers. So like if you're going to borrow money, you got to be sure that what you're going to bring to market is going to uh, outpace that deflationary pressure.
1: Does Booth think that um I don't know his opinion on this and I, I've uh wondering if you know, but like cause some people think that there like won't be like lending in this type of market or it can't work. You know his opinion? Uh
0: I can't speak for Jeff. No, I don't know his exact opinion on that, but again, if you play I this
1: I, I think it's interesting because uh Like one of uh, another objection, let's say, uh, which I think is related, but it's I think it's easily solvable. Is like some you know, uh, like these free bankers, right? Like Selgin White, as far as I know, they would think that if you get into a deflationary uh, price, a price deflationary uh, system, and you don't. Necessarily have other inflating factors to counteract that, and you did have inflating factors in the gold systems, right? Because gold, unlike Bitcoin, was not fixed. Still, it is fixed in the ground, but it still increases. You know, every year, right?
0: Yeah, miners would go out
1: and mine to go out and mine asteroids, whatever. You know, alchemy. I think is. I think actually, I know for sure. I, I remember talking about this with Adam back, like. Gold has been created. It's ex- extremely expensive to do it, but gold has been created in a lab. So it can be done regardless. You can create gold if you want. Um, you can, you know, you can mine more gold. You can get gold. So there's an inflationary pressure population, all the other things. They wonder if it becomes too awkward if it if if deflationary pressures uh, uh, still counteract that. And then you get to the point where your labor... Uh, would like what would you do like you know do you have to give price cuts to profitable good companies and my opinion to that is absolutely wrong way to look at it It, you'd fix
0: it on the supply side wouldn't you
1: i think you'd be even simpler you just let them work shorter hours (laughs) like in the like today it's okay work the same or harder and we'll give you a wage increase in a currency that's inflating and in the other scenario it's like we're all being more productive and better
0: go and enjoy your life
1: i'll pay the same work less yeah. i think that's a simple answer to that but um i haven't heard any if anybody's actually addressed it that way but i definitely think that um that's the goal right it's like we want machines. Yeah. machine not in a dystopian ai way but we want machines we want technology to help us it's obvious that that's happening in the current tech world even amidst this inflationary monetary inflationary pressure and price inflationary pressure um but in a deflationary or a no inflationary environment of bitcoin you would just have the ability to have the same output have the same growth still have population growth still have all the rest but you just work you just work less
0: work less people reading more books toiling in the land sounds like a great sounds like a great future yeah yeah, I mean, I like, yeah.
1: That's I don't know. I don't know what uh, what others are thinking about that, but I think that's the case. And I I do think that you'd still have lending, but yeah, like you said, it would just be uh, more risk averse borrowers. You'd have to be much more careful
0: yeah. as a borrower. Imagine the Yeah, the uh, businesses would switch to like a bootstrap model, which is easier in today's day and age in the digital world, it's significantly easier to bootstrap a company and provide utility to the world. Obviously with capital intensive hard asset endeavors, it's not the same case, but, um, much harder to bootstrap. But
1: Yeah. Bootstrapping as in using other service providers to get started in your endeavor.
0: Yeah. Or just running as lean as possible until you get traction. Um, using cash flows and profits to reinvest instead of going out and getting debt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great, man. I, uh, I mean, all of these things are fantastic. Uh, we got to keep promoting free banking. We got to keep promoting, uh, uh, free markets. It's not going to happen. We know this. Uh, it's the, the hard problem of defense is hard The hard problem of, <laughs> of central banks is problem is, is hard to, uh, to get around, but like, you know, that's a good way to, to put it. Like you said, you know, I mean, uh, just keep educating the fact that the walls are down. Um, and then, um, you know, that's, that's where I think the hope lies.
0: Yeah. And ended on a white pill on a hopeful note. You can do it. You can do it today. If you're listening out there. You download a Bitcoin wallet. If you're a merchant, you know, the tools that allow you to receive dollars and auto-convert. All the, those dollars or a portion of those dollars into Bitcoin um, that will allow you to accumulate capital over time so that maybe you have to work less in the future. Um, mm-hmm. It's here today. You can take advantage of it. It's at your fingertips. Software. Open source. You go download it. Begin using it. It's a decision. It's a, It's a mental decision of recognizing, like we said, that the walls are down around the the administrative state and the central banking system and the federal, the parasitic federal governments around the world. Um, and I, again, I will echo, I don't think we're going to fix our problems by trying to play within that administrative state. I think we have to build systems in parallel that are completely disconnected from these these hierarchies that have led us to these dire situations and Bitcoin I think is the most potent uh tool and mechanism that allows us to do that. So that's why I focus on it. And I have quarterly conversations with great individuals like Matthew. Um to just keep drilling, it. drilling, drilling, me more. Guess what? Base cash. cash. Keep that in mind. This is it's hey. What Everybody what is you, supply, but... For anybody listening out there, this is a propaganda channel. I'm propagandizing sound money and Built on a, a free and open source software, I will be open with that. I, I'm driving propaganda. I'll fix the money, fix the world. Bitcoin fixes this. Number go up. Bitcoin is freedom money. These are my propaganda slogans. I will. Don't
1: in the wait, CBDCs are never going to work. The money supply doesn't show that it, they're going any way to do any CBDC. It's not going to help the banking system. You can unplug from all that and have basic basic cash, which you can. What was it, the Iroquois that was going 11 generations? How far how, how were
0: they Seven generations, seven generation, seven generation yeah. thinking.
1: Yes, I heard that from you. That's a great point. Uh, completely rewire your brain for those things because that's how it was done in the past. Gold and silver, basic cash, shells, oh. beads, things before that. Never really reached full basic cash, but that's the same idea. Uh, you need something. Oh, one more thing. Sorry, it's tangents again. One <laughs> more. You need it. You need it for two reasons. One is that heirloom. Nick wrote about that a lot in shelling out. One is the heirloom. One is passing it on. That's why you need basic cash. You can do that with fine art. You can do that with property. You got to get a fiduciary involved with property, right? You got to get the legal system stuff. Who knows if that property is going to hold value. Plus, it could become a liability for you, depending on the maintenance, management, all the rest. So it's an heirloom. That's what shells and beads and all the rest were used for primitive basic monies. to gold, silver, not a Bitcoin. Absolutely. It's an heirloom. That's a main point. Like that's why you do it. That's it. It's for heirs. It's for passing on your savings to future generations. And then the next is if you have um, any concern with your trading partner on a non-local level. So if you're going outside of your home, where you're not going to see this person ever again, outside of your home area. Right. So if you're, you know, in the West Indies or something trading spices, like you're never going to see these people again at best next season you got to get the gold. You got to settle on more. Even if you're 80% settled in goods, 20% settled on margin with gold or silver, like that's why you have this type of cash. and uh, Those are like the real, real reasons. And those things still apply today. So Bitcoin can get you that international trade with people that you're never going to see again. Unbelievably fast UTXOs renewed, destroyed and renewed again. Every ten minutes, it's really remarkable. There's no other money like it in the world. So keep all those things in mind. That's why I'm doing the base money stuff. It's it really is like like gold and silver.
0: And thank you for doing the base money stuff. I think it's important work. And I do. I, you said this is four years in now. I think if you keep up with this, uh, porkopolis, porkopolis economics is going to be one of the go-to economic data repositories on the internet Um, because people need this good information like we've said many times throughout the years that we've been recording these episodes quarterly uh, nobody's getting this information nobody's gathering this data except for you Um, and i think the quality of the data is such that more and more individuals will realize that it is quality data and more eyes are going to be driven to it and it will be used to drive home the argument that bitcoin is better money. And the central banking fiat monetary system that dominates the world today is failing and making the world, world materially worse off. So as I do. Every time I come on. I'd have to thank, thank you.
1: you. Much appreciated. Love what you're doing as well. Always happy to be on. Look forward to the next one. I mean, it's already end of June, so
0: <laughs> Mid- <laughs> right.
1: it's gonna be uh it's gonna be coming again. But then you gotta wait. Well, uh, the central banks take forever all the rest
0: well yeah so that's what I, I was gonna it does take time to do this but it would be cool if the central banks make it possible to like release these numbers like the, say, the same day like gdp and inflation are, or nope, are no way no way not, not way. gonna happen no.
1: right. I, that i korea still hasn't given me uh, march yet so it, they're all different and at the end of the day, you do want, like, I, I thought about doing it, like, kind of as a running thing. Like, okay, I could give you, right now in June, I could give you, like, a lot of stuff from March. I could also give you U.S. through May. Uh, Korea would only be through February. But the better way is just to wait that full month when, like, you know, China doesn't come out for a month. The better way is just wait a month and then freeze it at most all of them end of March. Of course, the Bitcoin data I pull to the present, like, I pull to, you know, whenever the... The block. Yeah, yeah. Gold silver as well. It's easy to pull the price. Anyway, that's a little bit, a little bit into the nitty gritty of the methodology. There.
0: We're at block seven hundred thirty nine thousand nine hundred and ten right now. You want to get?
1: I saw it day uh, ahead actually. On uh, it was May fourth for a while. For the next having it was May third now on the block clock. I saw.
0: Interesting because we've had a downward difficulty adjustment. It looks like we should have one today. Actually, it should be relatively flat.
1: Um, a yeah. few as well. I didn't obviously look into it or anything, but I'm surprised at that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it is approaching evening or probably is the evening now where you are.
1: It um, is indeed. Thunderstorm rolling in. summer storm.
0: Well, you go enjoy the evening with your family. I've enjoyed this conversation.
1: All the best to you. Absolutely enjoyed it. All the best to you. You have a major life event coming. Matt, super happy for you. Massive, awesome, Enjoy it. Best of the wife. Best of the fam.
0: Thank you, sir. I'm preparing yeah. for very little sleep over the next couple, six weeks.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm still adjusting with one. and Woo, you got <laughs> you got your work cut out for you.
0: Yeah, it should be fun. Luckily, I um, have my wife's mother in town, so she's going to help out the first couple weeks. So that's shout out to my mother-in-law. Thank you for coming to help. 100%. All right, we'll do this again next quarter. Peace and love, freaks.